Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. This July, I'm going to invite every one of you guys to come to it up in Virginia Beach. Uh, I would love for you to come. Uh, it's a great, actually, you could take vacation. You'd have a wonderful time. Uh, your children would love it. Uh, we just got back from a gathering of vineyard leaders in California. And I, I just want to say this about the group that we're a part of. Uh, we had a wonderful time. We got ministered to, and, and we worshiped together, and we heard the reports about our group of churches and we now have 2,500 churches worldwide, uh, of which, get this now, yeah, that's awesome, get this, of which 2,000 are overseas, or not in the United States, right, in 95 different countries, uh, and one of the, the highlights of the thing, and I'm not going to talk too much, you know, you come back from these things, you're so jazzed up, you want everybody to know, and I, I know i got to get to my sermon, but I'll tell you, the highlight of the whole thing was we had some of our Hispanic leaders come up and pray uh, and intercede for the church. And uh, Pastor Marvin Suarez and Cuchi Suarez, when they came up and uh, two other uh, Hispanic pastors came up and began to pray. And they prayed in their beautiful, beautiful uh, tongue, their own tongue. And I picked up, I, I know very little, Paquita, right? And very little. But I picked up Familia and I picked up Lavinia and tears and crying and just pouring out their heart, saying how grateful they were to be a part of the Vineyard family. I could pick that up in while they were praying and how much they loved and wanted to see others come to know Christ and know the sense of family that we have in the Vineyard. It, it was just overwhelming. So I just want to say to you guys, you're a part of something much bigger and grander then even sometimes you imagine when you come in here, you're a part of a, a huge worldwide family of people who love Jesus and are just doing the best they can to catch up with him and, and to find out what it means to live for him. So uh, that was our trip to, uh, to California to gather. And we are on our way to Easter, which is the, it is the pinnacle. It is the highest point of Christianity. Easter is. And uh, it is the time when everything changed for everybody and of all time in this world. It changed. So we, as you can see from the title, we're going to take a look at the last word. That is some of the things that Jesus said. Also, on Easter morning and on Saturday, uh, Easter Eve as well, we're going to look at the first words out of Christ's mouth when he rose from the grave. Because wouldn't you think the last words... And then the very first words after the resurrection would be very important. So that bit of time is what we're going to look at. And today we're going to be over in Luke 23, 34. Just going to read a prayer there. And the question I want you to ask yourself all the time is, who gets the last word in your life? Because there are so many people that want to have the last word in your life. Right? Some of us are still living, actually, uh, according to someone's last word. Someone spoke a word over your life at some point in time that probably still you still hear it. Back in the background, whether it was your father, your mother, or someone very influential or something, there's probably a voice that you don't realize is getting the last word. And so for me, 
What I want is, is even if there are really good words or there's some harassing words, I want to know what Jesus has to say since I belong to him now. Since he is supposed to be the Lord of my life, my father, and, and guiding my life, I really need to hear what he has to say. What, what are his final words to me? And so that's what the discovery. So keep asking yourself this. You know, who gets the last word? We, uh, we went on a trip. I guess it was probably about five years into the church when we started it. We went to Costa Rica for a couple of weeks surfing. And uh, before I went, I contacted this uh, professional surfing tour guide. And I said, hey, I'm going to Costa Rica for two weeks. I want to hit every one of the best surfing spots in Costa Rica. And uh, she says, well, here, you taking your wife, Tim? I said, yep. And she, he said, she says, here's what I would do. So she laid out this plan. I said, oh, no, 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 no. No, I don't want to do that. No, no. I want to go to the epicenter of the surf central situation. I mean, I want to go where all the pros go. I want to hang out there for two weeks. I want to be with them. And I want to surf with them. I want to be around them. Uh, no, Tim, you, you probably don't want to do that because, I've, no, 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 no. That's what I want to do. So I shut her down. So we go to Costa Rica for two weeks, and we go to the place that I chose. And first night, a band plays to two in the morning. And, you know, all night long, there are people walking by our window constantly. Then they put us two stories up in a little tiny room, and I've got a big bag of surfboards dragging them up. And then I finally realized, you know, I got the last word in that. I should have let the tour guide, who knew so much more than me, right, have the last word in this, and I would have been a lot better off. Well, Jesus has made his way to the cross. And uh, in this story, in this beautiful narrative, as many of us know, he has lived a life of perfection. He has never done harm to one person. He has done all he could to free people, to release them from their sins, to feed people, to befriend people, to give people hope. He never raised his hand to hurt someone. He never did that. And yet he is drugged before Pilate and Herod and Caiaphas. And he is judged. He is betrayed. And, uh, and he is finally sent to the cross. Uh, while he's on the cross in amazing pain. Separated from his father. Being mocked. And it, the thing that got me about the whole story this time, as I read through it, was the betrayal that went on. Every time. I mean, he asked his friends, right, to stick with him in the garden. Can you just pray an hour with me? Just an hour? How many times did they fail him? Three times? Over and over again? Over. Can't you just stay awake, Peter? Just one little bit. Hang with me a little bit. They can't even. Betrayed, betrayed by a friendship. Can't even stick it out in the toughest of times with him. Then one of, then his treasurer of his group, of his church, <laughs> comes and uh, betrays him with a kiss, betrayal. And, I mean, Jesus, you know, he is being arrested. Now Peter gets this gumption to try to defend Jesus, pulls out his sword, and he lops one of the priest's assistant's ear off. Remember this story? It's in here. You read this? It's really in there. He lops his ear off. Now, Peter was meaning to lop his head off. That's what he was going after. But he hit the guy's ear, cut it off. And what does Jesus do? Put your sword up. He who lives by the sword, dies by the sword, takes the ear, heals the guy. Now, who does that? 
Who does that in the middle of a betrayal with one of his friends who has just betrayed him, now is trying to defend him. He says, no, 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 put the sword back, heals the guy. What kind of person does that? Then he's taken and he's judged. The priest, you know, they mock him, Caiaphas's house. And then he goes to Pilate's and, and Pilate goes, I'm going to send him to Herod since he's a Galilean. He doesn't want to judge him. Sends him to Herod. Herod says, I find no fault in this guy. Sends him back to Pilate. Pilate says, I, you know, don't. But they want to kill him, kill him, kill him. Now the masses that used to follow him have betrayed him. And here he is on the cross, hanging between heaven and earth with two thieves on both sides. I mean, what a place for the Son of God to be. Between heaven and earth and with humanity on both sides. I mean, who does this? Who writes this stuff? Who can make this stuff up? And that is when we see this prayer in 2334, where Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, we ask your blessing on your word today. Um, thank you for your word. Thank you. Thank you for loving us and showing us just how much you want to restore our relationship with you. Lord, help me this morning be able to bring your word in such a way that our hearts will be exposed and our hearts will grow warm and hungry for you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I mean, what kind of person does that? Jesus, you've got a fill-in on the back side of your handout if you want to track along. And these are three things uh, that I want us to notice about these last words. These words in Luke uh, 33, 34. And that is that Father forgive them for they know not what they do. First thing is it was a fulfillment of prophecy. It was a fulfillment of prophecy. In Isaiah 53, 12. Uh, we read, and this is in your handout as well. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he has poured out his life unto death. Does this sound like someone? And was numbered with the transgressors. That's the thieves. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. 700 years before Jesus hung on the cross and prayed this prayer, that was recorded. 700 years now, the prophecies just go on and on. I've got a list of 44 here that, uh, that, it, that I found. And that's just 44 about Jesus and uh, his birth and his death and his crucifixion. There are even a lot more concerning uh, Christ. And in the Old Testament, Jesus is placed just in the right place, saying just the right things that would happen on that first Easter. Why would he do that? In Psalms 109 and verse 4, and uh, this, you know, 500, 600 years earlier, I love them. Listen to this. I love them, but they try to destroy me with accusations, even as I am praying for them. Does that sound familiar? What we just read? Hundreds and hundreds of years of prophecy, like a megaphone speaking toward that moment in time when Jesus would come. Now, is that just... Do we think like some hypercomputer put all this together just so it could kind of talk us into maybe believing that Jesus is who he said he was? I mean, there was no computers to put this together. These were fragments and scrolls and 
all of it linking just right together. But you know what I think? I think all of it is this, to get our attention, to get your attention. These 2,000 years later, 2,700 years later from when Isaiah was written, all of these years later, all of history is saying to you and to me, you better listen, something huge has happened. Something amazing has happened. It's not just the feeling of prophecy to go, oh, well, this is a prophetic thing. It's to get our attention. Now, yes, there's a lot going on here with Israel and what God wants to say to them and all, but it's also saying it to us. So this prayer, Father, forgive them, was prophesied to be prayed 700 years earlier. Hanging between the two criminals prophesied 700 years earlier. All of this to get our attention to say something very special is happening. Jesus pleads with God, you know, not to hold his death against them. And when I think of Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, I think of me. (laughs) I can't help it because there are things we've done that we haven't even realized we've done. And there are people who have done things to you that they haven't realized that they hurt you that bad. They didn't know. And Jesus is there, never having committed any sin, no wrong to anyone, and yet he prays at that moment, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And all through history before it, we hear the voices of Isaiah, of the book of Psalms, and David and other prophets saying, he's coming, he's coming, and here's how you're going to know he's here. This is how he's He is going to behave, and this is what it will look like when Messiah comes. Just just listen to some of this, and and, um, you don't have to look this up, but this is in Psalm 22, uh, in verse 18. Let me read a few verses. Psalms 22, 18 says, They divide my garments, does this sound familiar? Among themselves, and throw dice for my clothing. You read the rest of that, Luke 38, 34, and you see that's exactly what the soldiers were doing. They were gambling for his clothes. Well, in Psalms twenty-two, eighteen, it was prophesied. That's exactly what would do. But listen to the rest of this. Verse 2, every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Remember some of the other words? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The cry out of Jesus' heart. There it is again being prophesied. Psalms 22, 6 through 8, but I am a worm, not a man. I am scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer And shake their heads saying, is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. Remember, if he's the son of God, let him call the angels and let him come down. and All of this prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before. Trying to get our attention that this is just not some religious guru, but something very special is happening in the life of Christ. It goes on. You can read right on down into verse 31. And there's prophecy after prophecy in Psalms 22 that is fulfilled in Jesus. So who gets the last word in your life? Is it someone who has a history like that? Would you, should you consider what he has to say to you? Someone that Isaiah spoke of 700 years prior before he came? Should you at least consider what he has to say? Listen to what his word says to you. Consider. So it was a fulfillment of prophecy, this prayer. 
to get our attention to say that something very special was happening. Your second feeling is this. It was also a model for prayer. It was a model for prayer. Jesus began his ministry as far as teaching us uh, very early on in Matthew 6, 9 through 18, where he taught us this prayer, right? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our trespasses if we forgive those who trespass against us. And give us our daily bread and deliver us from our debtors. And then forgive us, right, as we forgive those, right? That was a part of the initial prayer. And then his last prayer from the cross is what? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's like his ministry is bookend with these prayers for us, for people saying, hey, forgiveness is, should be a part of your prayer life every day. It's a model of prayer for us. And uh, when Jesus prays this, it takes on a whole nother weight, another seriousness, because unlike me, he had never done anything for anyone to treat him any way but well and good. Jesus did not need any forgiveness, but he had plenty to give. That is something very special. Someone who does not need to be forgiven to be a forgiving person. It's just amazing. Do you have people in your life that uh, you think are beyond forgiveness? It's the political year. You probably do. <laughs> I mean, do you have people? You know, Jesus looks out on the soldiers. He looks out on those who betrayed him, his own friends. And he says, they don't know what they're doing. God, forgive them. There is no one beyond reach. Beyond the reach of God's forgiveness. And no matter how many times you have prayed for that person, that family member, or who you're working with, don't give up. Here at this season in Lent, uh, to be able to pray and say, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What a wonderful prayer to pray and continue to pray. Uh, it's encouraging because there are people in my life that are far from God. You know what the worst is? People who think they're close to God, but they aren't close to God. It's got to, you know, people who think they're spiritual, you know, like I'm, I'm spiritual. I'm just not religious, that kind of thing. Not realizing that you really are not connected to God. People that don't. And that's, that's hard, sometimes difficult to talk with people. But to not give up and to continue to pray that, God, would you please move, move on them and they don't know what they're doing. They're just trying to make their way through life. Forgive them. Draw them to yourself. Maybe you've got family members. They've strayed off a long ways. And you've been so tempted to give up praying. You're like, okay, God, here. You just have them. Take them. You know, I'm done. But yet Jesus on the cross looks out. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. What a pattern for prayer for us. Um, I mean, you may have been horribly abused. As a child, as an adult, maybe you're in a situation even now where you are, you're, you're being taken advantage of. And it's very difficult. It's very difficult. Jesus was abused 
stripped naked, humiliated, beat, and put on display before the whole world. And yet somehow in this amazing grace that he had, he looked out upon humanity and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Now, ignorance is not innocence. (laughs) Because people don't know they're doing wrong does not mean they're innocent of doing wrong at all. But sometimes our actions of being able to engage in God's amazing forgiveness releases something where maybe it will allow them. Remember the Roman soldiers at the foot of the cross who finally looked up and said, this was the Son of God. Something happened. Maybe this guy that had just tortured Jesus, suddenly at this moment in time, he saw it. That forgiveness of God broke through his life. I mean, Peter, you know, right now during this point in time, Peter is hiding out, right? He's already, you know, couldn't stick with Jesus through prayer. He, he denied Jesus three times here shortly. He's hiding out. But in just a couple of months, what's going to happen? Peter is going to be preaching a sermon on Pentecost where thousands of people come to know Jesus. And you know what? Some of those people in that crowd were probably some of those people right around that cross. Crazy. You never know what your prayer, what a model for prayer to pray, God, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, forgive them. And it's hard, but it releases us. And at the same time, it frees something where God can go to work. And again, it doesn't, because they're ignorant of how they've hurt you, it doesn't mean they're innocent at all. But forgiveness frees us up in order to pray for them. And who knows what God will do. It's a model for prayer. If there's anything that that is needed in this earth today, it's for us to be able to live a life, an example of being able to forgive others, to release others. And, And... through the Holy Spirit, through the help of God, we are able to do that. Not in our own, not in our own strength, but it's through the power of the cross, the communion we just celebrated, through that power of His blood, of His forgiveness, we are able to, with His grace and mercy, to say, Father, forgive them. They just don't know what they've done to me. They just don't know. They don't know, but forgive them. Forgive them. So it's a model of prayer for us. Uh, in Luke 6, 28, Jesus said, Bless those that curse you. These are hard words, right? Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. Hard words. This is a different type of kingdom. This is a different way to live. This takes a different power. A different being almost. This is that part of Christ in us. The same part of... That was on the cross that said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But, you know, me, somebody mistreats me a lot of times. I, you know, we used to joke about praying that like bed bugs would infest their armpits, you know. And, and some of us, yeah, let's pray for them. Let's pray that the bed bugs will get them and they'll break out in hives. And, you know, this is back in my earlier days. And, uh, and all like, and God will just grab them and convict them and, and all of this thing. And, and uh, I heard a story one time of a guy who, Went to the doctor, he's really sick, and the doctor looked at him, did some tests, and said, you have rabies. And the doctor said, I really wish you had come to me earlier because you've come so late, there's nothing I can do. You're going to die. And the guy just flipped out for a while, and then he finally settled down, and he settled into what was going to happen, and he asked for a pen and a piece of paper. And he started writing, and the doctor said, are you writing your last will and testament? And he said, no. 
I'm writing the names of everybody I hate so I can bite them before I die. <laughs> you know, that is kind of the way that we would like to get back at people. But God leads us in another way of praying. It's a whole other way of life. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Who gets the last word in your life when it comes to how do you pray for others? When Jesus couldn't lay hands on people anymore because his hands were nailed to a cross, when his feet were nailed to the bottom where he couldn't walk anymore to where people were in need, when he was so thirsty but that he still couldn't give others water like he had done, he couldn't feed people, he did what he could do. He prayed. He couldn't lay hands and heal. He couldn't feed anyone at that point in time. But he could pray. And he could pray, Father, forgive them. Sometimes that's all we can do. And it's a good thing to pray that. It's a good example for us. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Third, it was a description of our greatest need. It is a description of our greatest need. Matthew 9, 6 says, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Well, get this. He's not on earth at this moment. He's up in the air above earth. Hanging between, if you can see the metaphor, between God and this earth with two criminals on each side. And there the Son of God hangs. Praying, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Because God was reconciling the world through Christ to himself in that moment. In that moment. Our greatest need, the very beginning of our life, our new life, is forgiveness. We need that more than anything in order to reestablish our relationship with our Father. We need to hear him say, well done. It's okay. Have you ever had anybody look you right in the eye and look at you and say, did you know you were very special to God? Now, I know moms and dads do that to their kids all the time. Well, at least moms do, right? And grandmoms. You, you know, you have a grandma that used to grab you by the ears, pull you right up to, your, to the face and give you a big kiss. And, you got, you're so special. <laughs> you know, of course, every grandkid's special. And, uh, but have you ever had God do that to you? Remember the story of the prodigal father? We call it the prodigal son. But the lavish, it's really lavish, prodigal, lavish father. The son wastes everything he comes back. And the father won't even give him a chance to make excuses. What does he say? The first words out of his mouth are, quickly, you know, bring the robe, bring the ring, bring the sandals. My son who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost is now found. It's like he's not giving him a time to just wallow in the mire of how he has so screwed up his life. What that son needed to hear, what we need to hear, what a daughter needs to hear is you're okay. You are forgiven. It's all right. That father doesn't sit there and keep drilling into his son. I can't believe you wasted the inheritance I gave you. He doesn't do that. He doesn't look at him and go, why didn't you come back sooner? He forgives him. The minute 
the Son, makes a step back toward the Father. The Father runs to meet him. Kisses him on the cheek. Embraces him and throws a party. Not in it. It's over. You don't have to wallow in your sins anymore. You don't have to wallow in the unforgiveness. You don't have to wallow in how you've missed the mark so much anymore. You are home. Have you ever heard anybody tell you, you are okay? You are all right. We need forgiveness more than we need anything. And we need to hear it from our creator that everything is all right. And the cross and the prayer that Jesus prayed is exactly that. It's his open arms to you, to me, to say, come on. Everything is okay now. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.